Hello and welcome to Unpacking Contract Law, the UK-based contract law podcast delivering unsolicited opinions on new and old contract law cases. The purpose of these podcasts is to provide you with an insight into our thoughts, ideas and ideologies around all things contract law. It also provides us with an outlet for all our opinions, so you listen at your own peril. Each podcast will feature a new contract law case with a discussion from three contract law enthusiasts. And it is thus my great pleasure to introduce you to Maggie Hemsworth, Severine Santier, and myself, Tim Dodsworth. Welcome to Unpacking Contract Law. Welcome, dear listener. Um, This is podcast number six in our series of Unpacking Contract Law and I'm joined as ever by my colleagues, uh, Doctors Santier and Dodsworth, and and my name's Maggie. So I don't know if they're going to say anything. Are you going to say hello, chaps, to the listener? Hello, 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 hello. There you are. Just to prove that I am not talking to myself. Um, in in this podcast, well, I am normally. <laughs> normally, I am. Um, in this podcast, uh, we are going to look at the fa- the um, case of Transfield Shipping of Panama. Sounds very exotic, and Makata Shipping Inc sometimes probably better known uh, in all shipping cases by the name of the vessel. And this one is the Achilles, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, just an introduction, I came across a lovely quote by McGarry J, uh, and I just give it now because I think it's uh, pertinent. He once said that the law reports are a survey of the wrecks of unsinkable cases. And today's wreck... <laughs> I'm afraid, is Transfield Shipping and Mercator the Achilles. This case actually has a number of connections with the last podcast, which uh, you might remember, dear listener, uh, was the new Flamenco. So the connections are these, really. Both shipping, both concerned with breach of contract and with damages. So lots of common threads. Uh, The new Flamenco one was about causation. Um, that is to say, the, the factual linkage between the breach and any losses or gains which need to be brought into account um, in, the, in the case of a, of a breach situation. Uh, the case today is also looking at breach and damages, but looking at uh, another aspect of that, uh, and it's uh, rather a peculiar term, I suppose, but lawyers use this term remoteness. And this is really about the rules by which the law seeks to limit the damages, because if you think about it, causation might be a very uh, rough and ready uh, um, uh, restriction on what I might call the domino effect. Uh, It could go unlimited, as it were, and that's uh, conceived to be uh, rather an unattractive proposition uh, because the damages might be uh, wholly unpredictable and uh, at large, as it were, and that might serve as a disincentive to contracting. So that's the background. That's what this case is about. So if I give the facts very briefly and, and what the uh, House of Lords actually this one decided, um, then I can pose some questions to my esteemed colleagues here. So the facts in brief. Uh, Makata Shipper Shipping uh, are or were the owners of the vessel, the Achilles. And going back a few years now, January 2003, they agreed charter party terms with Transfield Shipping. And the daily rate then agreed was 13,500 US dollars. 
And in September, uh, there was an amendment and they extended the period and changed the rate. The rate had gone up a wee bit. It was the, at that point 16,750 US dollars. So gone up a, lit, but, a bit, but not a great amount. Um, by April 2004, the owners fixed a, what they call a follow-on charter with a third party. And the rate had increased dramatically over that period of time, actually. It was then standing at 39,500 US dollars as a daily rate. So the market had risen very sharply between September 2003 and April 2004. The inevitable happened, I suppose. Uh, so it ends up as a case. Uh, the vessel was delayed. The charterers were late in sending the vessel back. Um, in effect, they were in breach. And they were in breach by about nine days. Um, but the owners, Makata, had no option to renegotiate the follow-on charter. And so they had to revise the rate down uh, a little bit, down to 31,000, uh, 31 and a half, actually, thousand US dollars for the daily rate. Uh, but that follow-on charter was to run for 191 days. It was quite a long charter. Uh, Makata claimed damages, this is where we get to the legal bit, I suppose, claimed damages against Transfield at the daily rate of loss. That much is uh, entirely conventional. So the difference between the £39,500, uh, sorry, uh, dollars that they uh, originally agreed uh, compared with the, the new rate that they were forced to concede, um, that's uh, $31,500. So uh, the daily rate is around $8,000. Fair enough. Uh, but the point of argument was, uh, were these damages to run for the nine days of overrun or the 191 days of overrun? That makes a big difference. If it's 191 days, uh, it comes in at, I am told by the case report, 1.3 million US dollars. It is worth arguing about, in other words. Um, so they claimed for the 191 days. And the basic law, this is where we get to the law, or standard law as it's known, actually dates from the Victorian era. So we haven't really moved a lot from the Victorian era, you might think. And that case, if you're interested, you lawyers, you students will be interested, Hadley and Baxendale. That case is actually very interesting, but I digress. There are two limbs to that, they're alternatives. So the losses are recoverable if either they're within the presumed reasonable contemplation of the parties as a serious possibility arising in the usual or natural course of events, the sort of obvious kind of damages that you might imagine, I suppose. Alternatively, they're recoverable if they're within the special knowledge of the parties. In other words, for that second limb, you've actually pointed out to the potential contract breaker, hey, look, chum, if you're in breach, this is what is likely to happen. And it's uh, usually considerably more. And the theory is that the contract breaker or potential contract breaker has some opportunity of altering his stance. Perhaps he charges you a different amount of money in the contractual terms, or he takes out liability insurance, which might be a smart thing to do. Anyway, this case is only about the first limb. That is the usual or natural course of events. And we've got three levels of courts effectively here. Um, the arbitrators, because it was an arbitration a dispute in the first instance, the High Court and the Court of Appeal, 
all found in favour of the owners. That is, they could claim for the 191 days, not just the nine days. But the House of Lords, effectively Lord Hoffman again, bless him, said, no, you've got that wrong. <laughs> How often he is likely to say to someone, you've got that wrong and reversed that. I think it's probably fair to say that Lady Hale came close to dissenting. That's what the textbooks say. It read like a dissenting judgment, and then she swerved at the very end to agree, but it was a bit half-hearted. And she even refers to something, I'm going to mention this now before I ask the question, because it struck me, a deus ex machina, which is sort of ancient Greek, when the uh, Greek gods on, on in a theatre... Uh, would save the day, and, I, and I, I can see Severin's looking bemused at this. Deus ex machina, I had to look it up. In ancient Greek times, in the theatre, if you had a plot that you couldn't really solve logically, reasonably, with the people already on stage, as it were, what they did is they brought in a god in a machine. And it's, if you like, explaining the unexplicable. So by intervention of the gods, you've got a remedy and a cure. So she actually refers to that. I suppose it's a very kind way of saying this looks like sleight of hand. This looks like, you know, um, very a creative lawyer-like making. So now we get possibly to the points of disagreement between Severine, Tim and I. So do we think that that decision was right? Because Lord Hoffman basically says, this is the question, he says, and in his way, in his inimitable way of saying how simple this all is, you are all so thick and I'm so smart. He says, is the recoverable losses on breach a rule of law? So it applies so long as there is no express provision. Or is it capable of rebuttal where the context and general understanding of the particular market would indicate that the party in default would not reasonably be assuming those losses? And he says for the latter, it is capable of being uh, removed, if you like, this general rule doesn't apply if the context and general understanding would say otherwise. And he says the evidence was that everyone in the market in 2003, 2004 in shipping, all assumed that the liability would only be for the days of actual overrun. So the nine days only, not the 191 days. So, Tim and Severin, finally, I get to a question. I ask you finally, do you think that's a significant shift in the law? What do you reckon about that? Right or wrong? Shift? No shift. <laughs> I was looking puzzled with your Greek uh, I reference. love that. I love that. Because because Deus ex machina is a Latin phrase. So you know, oh, there you go. Uh, well, it, it was in Greek so, plays, yeah. I understand. But I anyway. know, I know that. You know, that's fine. Okay, so back to back back back, back to you know uh, the, the the pressing question. Well, I will answer uh, the question in a you know roundabout way. It was really nice for me to actually read again what is now. A reasonably old decision, actually, uh, and to it's not old by my standards. It's two thousand and eight. You know, and 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 to read, you know, Lord Huffman's assumption of responsibility, and also to, uh, you know, see that they all, you know, mentioned that, um, you know, something. The question which hadn't actually 
been raised until then that, you know, can you actually claim for such an enormous amount of money that uh, they were all referring to the fact that, you know, we are in shipping terms and that, you know, the question hadn't uh, yet been asked, which I had forgotten <laughs> that it hadn't yet been asked. So it's, it's really, you know, for all our students um, listening, uh, it's actually really good to read again the decision which you think you know, uh, because I, I thought I knew when, you know, type extent and all that. And, you know, um, and in fact, you forget actually quite, you know, the importance. So I think it is an important decision but maybe not for the right reasons, uh, because, of course, the courts have tried to a, understand the, the difficulty with the decision is that. So, as you've said, uh, Maggie, um, Lady Hill or Baroness Hill, um, I was quite disappointed with her um viewpoint it almost seems like you know oh you know i know nothing about it and you know please you know so i it, it's a little bit um disappointing on that trying to find out exactly what they all say and you know uh what's the ratio and 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 all that so that on, on that that is interesting uh and what is it that lord hoffman is saying about the assumption of responsibility so what is interesting from these decisions is that uh, of course it's not enough to uh, be aware of the potential um of the potential loss but what is interesting is that you must accept a liability so i think that that, that is interesting because the question you know in effect, hadn't yet uh, been asked. But I suppose before. the criticism might be, how are you going to show that someone has assumed responsibility? Well, yes. So I think that's the, you know, the, 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 the assumption of uh, responsibility is, you know, is it, is it a complete change of tack uh, from uh, the House of Lords or not? And what is it that they all... Uh, you know, have said, uh, because of course, uh, we have, you know, as you said, uh, Baroness Hill, um, you know, whole, you know, half heartedly, you know, say, yes, of course, I agree with you. But so the, the, the ratio is difficult. And afterwards, what the courts have done to try to explain what it is by this assumption of responsibility, and whether if it is a real change of tack from uh, the court, whether it then um, how to go about it as to, you know, the impact uh, of the decision. So, well, would you that, say that they've tried to contain it to shipping? Absolutely. Or at least to, tr yes, I, I would say, you know, the if we look at the uh, Court of Appeal or the High Court, you know, saying that it is um, an exceptional case, um, so, yes, they definitely have tried to contain it and limit the impact of um, the decision. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think, Tim? You're, you're nodding, not nodding? Yes. <laughs> I am. I am. So, I, as, as with Severino, it was great to reread the case because um, I, I think it highlights that I... I, I'm not sure I necessarily disagree with the outcome, but I really disagree with the impact that it's had. Um, and but has it only had impact with 
academics who like writing about these things. Uh, so has it made an impact in the real world, if I put it that way, contentiously? I, I don't think I can answer that question. I probably don't have the real world experience to do that. But considering that it appears in every single textbook and casebook uh, with with quite a bit of explanation uh, is giving this case, I think, too much credit. Um, so Lord Hoffman's idea that we have a presumption that can be rebutted seems okay. On the face of it, seems seems plausible. But I, I think if we dig a little deeper, then then it doesn't it doesn't actually work that well. Now there there are two things here. Uh, I think we need to have a look at. One is, I I get the feeling this case would never have been decided in this way if the damages were about half the size. Shouldn't right? make if, any if difference, though, 000, should it? That shouldn't well, make that, any but I difference. think it does. <laughs> and that's exactly the point. I think that's exactly the point, is that this would never have been decided in that way. And that's a little bit, I think, what Lord Hoffman is trying to get around by saying, well, OK, first we identify the type of loss, the kind of loss, and then we'll get on to quantum. And and, and that's that's a whole different thing. But don't, you, don't well, no, you think, think the killing point purely... is where Lord Hoffman seizes on the findings of the arbitrators that at the time nobody in the market thought that there would be damages for more than the overrun period. I think that's the well, killing that's, point. That's explained later on quite nicely where we look at the whole where that yes. comes from, namely the the whole legitimate last voyage and 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 the approval of that yes. and that being an indication that they yes, I think I think there is something there. In fact, I think if we really wanted to go about this, and I think, I'm not sure whether it's Hoffman or one of the others, that go to the area of saying, well, actually, there could be more of an implied term yes. here. Not by, ne not, not by necessity, but possibly by yeah, custom. That would, now, I think uh, yeah, that yeah, possibly maybe. fixes it a lot yeah. better. This is not a question of remoteness mm. at all, because did the loss flow from the breach? Yes, mm. it did. Right. They didn't deliver it back and therefore they had to renegotiate the contract. I think there's no question there. OK, I'm, I'm being I'm, I'm waiting for a reaction. Well, I'm just here. wondering, but why I did think... nobody argue uh, implied term by custom? Is that because it's so difficult to actually yes. prove notorious? But it's actually I mentioned think that it here, is... right? They, they're using the word that they're using the word yes. custom. They're using the word implied. <laughs> it's right there. It's staring us in the face. In fact, if we have a little look, um, I think Lord Hoffman even mentions it when he says, there is, I think, an analogy with a distinction which Lord Cross, the Church of Durham, Liverpool, uh, City Council and Irwin, uh, between terms implied into all contracts as a certain time and the implication yeah, of terms Yeah, yeah, but he's saying contract. by analogy. Mm. By analogy. By analogy. It's not the same thing. <laughs> No, no, but but what it means is that it was right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the opportunity was right there to approach this on this basis, and actually, we're still going into the remoteness. And I don't think it works. I tell you what. I tell you what. It occurs to me um, that uh, Wells and Devani is a, is a very neat, close uh, analogy, and obviously, it's not Lord Hoffman because it's a much more recent case, and and he's long retired. But if you think about the approach that was taken in Wells and Devani, it wasn't by an implied term. 
again it was this particular market buying and selling when estate agents commission is payable uh, in that particular market although they didn't articulate it the parties it was effectively by inference agreed by them that the commission would be paid on the sale this one is very close to that sort of approach in my view obviously the lords are totally different because we've got what have we got uh, 10 15 years apart time wise but in a weird sort of way the approach in achilles is now uh, entirely conventional, I would say, if, if you're looking at Wells and Devaney, which is a uh, very recent uh, speaking of the Supreme Court. What do you think to that? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a reminder here, of course, that we do have a podcast on that on that topic of Wells and Devaney, <laughs> I believe. So uh, if anyone wants to listen to that, um, Again. That, that's right there. <laughs> Uh, again, absolutely. So I'm absolutely. saying, uh, the, assuming that people are yeah, listening but, chronologically, yeah, but the um, should you know? You say textbooks. I don't think practitioners are terribly excited about this case. Uh, that would be my view. But textbooks are excited about this case, and that's one of your uh, bemoans about it. These textbooks writers should, I would suggest, uh, be trying to draw these sorts of analogies uh, with with Wells and Devaney, because I think that it works very neatly now. In relation, Absolutely, yeah. and I think that fits better never... with what Lord Hoffman, yeah. Hoffman is saying about uh, about the assumption of responsibility and, and there being a general rule that you can contract out of. And I think that works because that's what implied terms are essentially doing, right? They're setting a framework, but if you expressly contract out of it, then fair mm. enough. And that would be my argument um, here, which um, I think when Hoffman is referring to Professor Robertson's argument, my counter to that is they could have simply contracted out, right? If this was really their intention, then they should have put it in the contract. And that is one of the basic standpoints of English law, which is, well, you could have put that in the contract. You didn't. So tough luck. But they didn't. Yes, because yes was, but if, yeah, but if could, you that take be... that view, then the law never really has anything to say in relation to implied terms, because you yeah. could say, you know, you could have had an express term. Well, technically, I guess the implied terms are part of the contract. It is putting it in the contract so long as we find that it's an implied term. But it's not been specified. It's not been made explicit. The same argument applies there. Why didn't you bother to make it absolutely clear? You could have saved yourself a lot of heartache. People don't. Does... People don't, do they? But, the law has but, to cope with you that. You see, perhaps, perhaps they didn't because it was never uh, seen that it was you know, thought about, you know, yeah, so they did yeah. make an awful lot. Uh, I've never thought about it in terms of the, you know, implied term by uh, custom, because arguably here they made so much of the fact that the market condition and the shipping condition. So maybe maybe, maybe when we have finished, you know, this podcast, I'll actually go and read it again with a slightly different um, uh, viewpoint on, you know, whether indeed here, uh, maybe, maybe that's what Law Hoffman uh, was trying to do. Well, I think somebody somebody must have taken a view, some senior QC must have taken a view. We don't have enough to argue implied term by custom. But if that's yeah. the case, then surely that's tough luck yeah. then. It, this is not a matter, I don't think, of remoteness. It, it just simply doesn't fit within. Whether whether causation or remoteness, no matter what we're arguing in this point, it, it just doesn't fit in. The test in Hadley was quite clear, and I think trying to throw that over and that's what we're seeing in the following cases right um maggie you mentioned in the previous oh, 
in our yeah. pre-session, the Sylvia shipping, yes. you know, saying this is this is really just limited to shipping. And not just that, I'm, I'm assuming by now they're putting it in the contracts. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, yeah. You know, follow, really, following this yeah. case. So in yeah. other words, that should really have been yeah. the death of this yeah. case. That, that should have been the end of it. In fact, no matter how they would have decided this case from now on, from that moment onwards, it was going to be put in the contract. Well, I think I think one way this case, you know, I mean, how, you know, so the Sylvia and, and all the other cases which name escapes me where they do try, you know, to say that this is an exceptional case, the fact that it was an incredibly volatile market uh, is indeed, you know, shows that what Lord Hoffman has said is uh, an exception, so it's not a new norm. Uh, it is something uh, which is only going to apply in indeed exceptional circumstances, um, and in relation to the uh, shipping market, which which again is quite you know interesting to see that you know they keep on harping on about you know what was known uh, for the arbitrators for the commercial shipping. Uh, so in a way, it's kind of weird that, uh, okay, it was extremely volatile, but by the fact that it was extremely volatile, that therefore gave an indication that even though it was extremely volatile, it was not impossible uh, and that, and therefore not completely um, ah, but you have to you have to be careful about be... when you decide the market became volatile because that was after the uh, the agreement as to terms with the between the contracting parties the market was not volatile at the time of the contract and so you can only be asked to um, predict if you like what is a serious possibility I know, on the basis look, of what you know then. Okay, but if you look at Roger and Hell, you know, they say that it was not contemplated uh, as an extremely volatile uh, market condition. So, um, yeah, that that, that, that is um, what they said. But there I'd like to come in because I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure, again, that makes that makes that much sense because... It, it sounds like what we're saying is, or I think I think Lord Hoffman himself says this, that the justification would be that it's placing an unjustified risk on the contract breaker, right? So if they couldn't have predicted it at the moment they entered into the contract, then then therefore we shouldn't have that. But but they are the ones that can avoid the breach. They are the ones that can do something about it. Here, the owners of the ship could do nothing about trying to get the ship back for this new contract, whereas the actual ones that are going to be in breach could have done something about it. Uh, well, there's two. There's two. They there's the two. There's two points to that. It. So I don't think. Yeah. Well, there's on. two points to that. You you can always do something about the breach by not breaching, but uh, it's too simplistic to to not take on board uh, the the likelihood of losses, and, and so you you need to be able to predict what the extent of your liability is going to be. Uh, that's the basic argument. Otherwise, it's unfair. Mm. You you can't adjust uh, in accordance with that. It's a it's an unknown. And mm. the other point is peculiar about shipping. And I think Lord Hoffman does make this point somewhere that there is a peculiarity in shipping uh, that the owner, when they realised that the uh, the return was going to be late was within its contractual rights to say to the charterer, no, you're not able to do this last voyage that you're contemplating because you're bound to be late. 
So that is a feature of shipping that wouldn't be uh, applicable in, in most other contractual settings. That is, the owner has the option to say no, and they didn't. And that's exactly the point where I think that is why the decision is is correct, at least on these facts. I mean, not correct in its justification, but in, in its in its outcome, is that they actually gave the okay to this last voyage, knowing mm. the potential of it being late. And I think that mm. in itself, that, that justifies the outcome. Mm. I'm I'm thinking more of the fact that, you know, they, they go on this last voyage regardless of whether they've they've had uh, they've known about it, knowing that the market has changed, it's going to be quite expensive. In those cases, I th- I think the the breacher can can do something about it and the other can't. So I don't see that that is an unjustifiable risk at all. Uh, in which case, they could have e- easily either taken out insurance for it in case they thought they might be late. They could have um, they could have just not gone on that last voyage. But the fact that the other party agreed to it probably makes on the facts of this this correct and that's where the implied term comes from the implied term being that if i agree to the legitimate last voyage what we're saying is what if you're going to then be late you will pay the daily rate yes you have have contemplated the possibility of them being late and you have therefore assumed responsibility for it. Yes, but I mean, you know, that's the $6 million question. You have assumed responsibility for what? And they would say, well, for the period of overrun, yeah, okay, we accept that because that was common understanding, but not for 191 days or it could be 365 days or however many days the follow-on might have been because they have no idea about what the rate and the length of that would have been. So it's artificial to say um, you're the potential contract breaker. It is within your power not to break your contract. Yes, okay, but that doesn't get you anywhere because you still have to think liability for what? Breach is not the end of the story. It's halfway along the story, as it were. (laughs) So, So breach for what? It's the it's so the damages so that's important. Then... The assumption about what the damages would be. So is it more the length of the follow-on charter, rather than the increased price? Well, I think there, so. Would there's... this have never been a discussion point yeah. if we'd had, you know, if the if the follow-on charter would have been for sixty days? Uh, well, maybe not. Somebody would have looked at the finance and asked themselves. Is it worth powder and shot, as it were, taking this through arbitration, through court of appeal, through Supreme Court? You've got to, you know, it's just the practicalities of the legal cost that you're spending on this. They might have spent far more and it wouldn't have been justified. So there might have been instances of this in the past where someone has taken the view, uh, you know, the, the, the run-on is 20 days. We're going to spend five times that amount in arguing this legal point. It probably only came to this particular case because the run-on was so very long. And therefore, it, it, it was justified to, to spend all of these legal costs fighting this point up to the Supreme Court. 
but then surely that falls within the Victoria Laundry kind of kind of category, in which case we're saying, well, yes, we assumed that they might have a follow-on charter, but we didn't assume that it was going to be a follow-on charter for, for 100 Well, that, that comes That's back to your... That's not what you normally get yeah, in Yeah, OK, but that area. comes back to the old argument about are these losses different in kind? Yeah. And, and yeah, the, su- the Supreme yeah. Court are rowing back yeah. from that, though, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, that Attorney General, uh, Virgin Islands and Global Water. Mm. Um, quite recently, the Supreme Court has said, we don't think it is helpful to talk about losses of a different kind because what the heck does that mean? And and that's your problem here. This is a run-on charter. Does it make it a different thing in kind because it's 191 days as opposed to 60? No, it's still a run-on charter. It hasn't become a different thing. That would have to be your argument, that it has become a different thing because it's passed over whatever threshold you decide in terms of days or rate makes it a different concept. That's the problem, I think. This, this different in different kind is just too vague, not helpful. Yeah, and and the link that you highlighted with the flamenco, even though it's you know a different question, they did touch upon it with you know the type extent that you know that was more helpful. So yes, that is very true. But I think the um, the just because so the one element that I um, agree with tim um that you know just be the, the one sorry no the, the one <laughs> sorry i'm trying to think sorry tim there <laughs> I, I, I tried to think of my feet because i've i've just had a, a thought and i'm trying to articulate it and thinking on my feet these days is quite painful and difficult and may not lead uh, anywhere but uh, you see now i've lost the train of my thought i can't remember oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know when, when when team you said that you know did, did you know was it contemplated did it flow on from from the bridge yes and so the only thing that you know um appears that it was such an enormous thing uh, such an enormous loss and therefore that's why they tried to um uh, row back from you know the, the case on the distinction between type and extent and so, but it is true that did it flow from the bridge? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, can't. Um, well, that can't just sh- that just shows you that causation as a as a technique or a a, a legal point is a rather blunt instrument and, yes. and can't be the end of the story. That's why we have these mm. rules about remoteness, mm. Mm. Um, because otherwise the domino effect, as I said in the introduction, is uh, so. So unpredictable so and, yeah. and unknown that that might yeah. create a real disincentive to taking these sorts of risks. And, you know, we can talk gaily about the availability of insurance, but it might not be available or it might not be available at a commercially acceptable price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that might be a disincentive, if you like, to shipping. And, um, you know, we've seen recently with the Suez Canal being blocked for several days. <laughs> By I know, a ship. I'm waiting for the cases to come I'm sure out. That'll be a, that'll yes. be a discussion, yeah. won't it? You know, that's not a good thing. A disincentive to commerce is viewed as not a good thing. No, no, that is very true. But I think we still have to remember in this, um, and and then I I will shut up on the topic. Um, but we we there's still been a loss. 
one of the parties has still had a loss. And I think that is something that is forgotten, even with the judges. It's, it's what they're saying is, well, they squeezed every penny out of the market. Well, no, they've still they've still had this loss of one point three million dollars. Yes, an enormous. And and. And okay, I will accept that because they they allowed for the legitimate last voyage, they have taken on part of the risk. I can I I, I accept that. But if they hadn't, then they are the ones carrying the entire mm. risk for this. And I don't I don't think to come back to the fairness point, Maggie. I don't think that's fair because they have no influence whatsoever on, on, on being able to stop it from happening. Well, their main but point of influence was to reject that last vessel, that last voyage. Yes. So yes. they did yes, have all have the control, actually. Yeah, so in this case, I think that's correct. But if that hadn't been the case, I think this... And, and, and the, the judges seem to be making no distinction between it, right? Whether they guaranteed the legitimate last voyage or... or, or agree to the legitimate last voyage or not doesn't seem to play any role at all here mm. so and i th i think that is probably another point that's well it can't it can't explicitly it can't explicitly play a role because there is no home for it under legal principles but it do, it is mentioned in the judgment it it, it it might mm -hmm. subliminally have been in the background of uh, one's thinking as as judges but they can't use it i don't think as part of the reasoning because it doesn't sit with any of the legal principles and, and fairness apart from an implied term as to custom what on the the rejecting the last no the possibility of or the, or the fact that it, it is commonplace that you will apply for a legitimate last, last voyage which the other party can either agree to or um, reject. Well, that's an express term. I think there's an express term in that in that charter that the owner could have yeah. rejected that last uh, journey. Um, yes. But um, how how are you going to use that express term now as a way of uh, limiting the recoverable damages? It doesn't easily sit with any of the principles that we have it doesn't place them in breach because they didn't exercise that right it, it's a it's a an option to them so it, it it doesn't really help a great deal on the rules that we have what do you think well it would because it it, it extends it it, it it is evidence that there was there was an understanding um there was an implied term that um, that that from then on, so long as it's part of that legitimate voyage, they would be paying a daily rate. That's not part of remoteness. That is then that is then customary in that area. Yeah. So where's that getting you now with the claim for 191 days? Well, that's removing. That's 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 removing entirely. Well, that 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 achieves the same result but places the whole test in a different light. But you would, you would have to say, yeah, well, I'm not sure how, how you can fashion that in terms of the legal rules that would limit the damages because all you've got is an express right of the owner to refuse that last voyage. They're not obliged to exercise that right 
It doesn't place them in breach of contract if they do so or if they don't do so. It is simply a right that they have. They didn't exercise that right. And it doesn't flow from that right that they have, that they will be liable for such an enormous amount of loss. Well, you, you, you can't see, you can't fashion a legal rule, I don't think, that says if I don't exercise that right, if I choose not to do so, that in itself is going to reduce my damages because I had the right to to control that last voyage and avoid that. You can't even see it in terms of mitigation of loss because at this point you haven't got yeah, a loss. A <laughs> you haven't got yeah, a bridge. So I think that's a problem with a clause like that, but it's peculiar to shipping. I, I can't, I, I don't see that it naturally applies in many, if any, other places. I, I can't think of anywhere else where you have. Well, I'm sure in some construction contract, because it, it, shipping cannot be the only industry where the losses are enormous, I'm sure in... Well, yeah, for sure. But the size of the loss is irrelevant, isn't it, when we're talking about the principles? I suppose yes. the analogy might be a higher car. If we think very domestically and consumer for the moment, if you hire a car from, you know, Avis or whatever it is, uh, you agree to return Other it at a, at a particular. Indeed, that's the only one I can think <laughs> of at the top of my head. Um, you agree to send it back, deliver it back in good condition without any scrapes. We've all been there, haven't we? Um, by a set time, and there's something written in the contract as to what you will pay thereafter. But um, okay, fine. Um, but uh, the the hire company. Who own the vehicle will be in difficulty saying, oh, "I could have agreed uh, with with uh, with someone else uh, the double rate because the market had had risen uh, dramatically in the period that you were taking the car out. So if you'd not returned it late, I could have got double the daily rate from uh, customer X, and you've." You're, by your breach, you have shortchanged me out of uh, those losses. That would be comparable with what we're arguing now. But um, is I it? think that's exactly what they could yeah. do. I think that's exactly what they could have done. The, I mean, the difficulty here is not, it is probably, a, or is, is also the fact that the, 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 the rate went down um, afterwards. But I think, I think the higher company would be well within its rights to say, you delivered the car back late and therefore we couldn't give it to another customer. Now, the, the difficulty is, of course, that they have enough turnover that they can they can probably ameliorate that. It would be difficult to say, well, OK, you delivered it back late and therefore we couldn't hire it out to someone who was going to have it for two years. Right. You had the van for well, two I'm days. I'm thinking of the, the rate back at a very high rate. Suddenly the rates had changed in the interval. It would be hard to argue that because the, the rates at the time that you were taking out the car were not volatile. This is analogous now to the, the shipping case that we've got. So you as the hirer, you could not have reasonably have had in your mind the serious possibility of, say, the rates doubling over the 10 days that you were hiring and therefore your being late would have had such a dramatic effect on the hire company. 
It's back down to the question of serious possibility. What was a serious possibility at the time you, you started the hire? Well, I mean, let, let's take the example. The higher rates, the higher rates go through the roof all the time. Are you talking about a consumer or a commercial contract? Because I don't think we can work in a consumer setting because the co- no, I don't. Th- I think in the that's, well that's with why consumer, they have you'd you'd have contract, a, yeah, you'd have a lot more law to contend with because you have the yeah. Consumer Rights Act, things like that. But in principle, okay. I'm talking in principle in terms of the common law. Um, yeah. uh, th- this shipping problem. Uh, the only thing I can see uh, analogous would be a, another sort of higher arrangement. Yeah, okay, no, no, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, but even in hiring let's, a vehicle, let's take, the, let's, have, let's take the higher vehicle situation. Let's say I, I hire a, a, a small van um, at a hundred pounds a day for for two weeks. Um, at, throughout those two weeks, somewhere in the middle, we suddenly get the lockdown. The prices, of course, go through the roof because they've now got to clean the cars, whatever. Of course, that's in my content. Of course, I thought of that. Of, no, of you wouldn't. You wouldn't as, have as thought about it at the time you mm. hired. If if it was so, then Could then maybe. Happen? But post the contract. Could something happening to? Yeah, okay. But but even 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 when I enter into the contract, can I imagine a scenario where the prices of a, a higher vehicle double? It's not yeah, a question of imagining. Remember, because we're talking about contract law, and this is yeah. something I think the the House yeah. of Lords said. What is foreseeable is is a much broader possibility as it were in contract we intentionally have a much narrower you have to be able to reasonably contemplate this as a serious possibility and that was lady hale's Mm -hmm. route out of the problem with the achilles Mm. because she is saying ah no at the time of the contract um between the the shipping company and the charterers it was not viewed as a serious possibility yeah. that the market would have gone um, a wall, as it were, and climb from what was it, uh, sixteen and a half thousand dollars up to thirty nine thousand dollars as a daily rate. No, nobody had that in their mind. Not as foreseeable because you can imagine many, many things that are quite. Uh, uh, unlikely as it were but for contract we intentionally use different language to try and convey that this is a much more restrictive field of contemplation so it's not imagining it's not foreseeing it's not saying it might be it's got to be a serious possibility or um, that very unhelpful negative not unlikely yeah. And, and and I think from memory, the Supreme Court have recently talked about this not unlikely. I think it was the um, Attorney General Virgin Islands again, the, the global water thing, um, because they say it's less than a 50-50 chance, but they're not willing to say how much less than that. And they certainly say it's not yeah. simply probabilities or statistics. But I think what they're trying to convey is it's got to be something that looks to be pretty possible, as it were. So this not unlikely is much higher than your imaginings. This is what I'm trying to say to you now. The time you take this higher car out, unless the market has changed, become volatile at that point, you cannot predict within reasonable contemplation. Volatility, by its nature, it's not happened and no one is thinking that it's going to happen. 
Anyway, we're getting close to change our circumstances, which, you know, is another... Yeah, but why should that risk be placed? This is, this is, why should that risk be placed on the non-breaching party to the contract? This is something that's happened. This is a, this is a, a, someone has got to carry the loss. Someone's got to take the Well, at root, this is a policy decision, isn't it? Yes. Causation at root is a factual decision, and that in some instances makes it easier and in others not. But anyway, um, remoteness is a legal question. And behind all of that, I think Mm -hmm. it's just simply a policy decision that, okay, there are losses. There are losses. They've got to fall somewhere and someone is going to be unhappy. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but there are bigger issues, aren't they? They did say it is a policy decision. Uh, I mean, I thought it was quite interesting that uh, Baroness Hill was the only one who actually said that, you know, to rule out a whole category of loss of loss simply because parties hadn't thought about it, create uh, as much uncertainty and injustice as letting it in. I thought that was quite interesting, get, getting back to injustice and fairness and all that. But um, so it is a policy decision that 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 is one thing indeed uh, that. All of them have made clear that it is a question of law um, and therefore that is why it is incredibly important to have clear rules uh, and on that, that reassertion, uh, which is also in a way reasserted in a different setting, uh, but linked to it in the new flamenco. Uh, And I think also, um, I think that the the case that I I don't know whether we are talking about the same case, uh, Maggie, but I think they were talking about the loss of chance and when does the loss of chance become a certainty? And I think they were saying that above 90%, it is certainty. Yeah, loss of chance cases are uh, even harder, aren't they? I know, I know. but (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's different again, I think. I know, no, no. It's just, it, it, it is quite interesting that some of the most recent cases appear by the Supreme Court, and we've had quite a few over the last few years, trying to put the rules in some kind of logical and, you know, clear uh, setting. What have um, we been doing for the last 800 years, I wonder, now you've said that? <laughs> no, no, no that, that, that's not what I'm setting, but, you know, it... it, it Again, Only now it, it, we've know, got some clarity. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But it, it, it's kind of it, it's really interesting to see how um, the again. That's why it is so important to actually get back to some of these older cases to see how much the law has evolved. And so I think that's a a, a really good lesson for me. Uh, to go back to these cases to reacquaint myself with them, but also that you know, in 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 some recent cases, the Magdesi, the, the, there is you know the, the the new flamenco trying to make clear link between you know when there is uh, through mitigation you have made a profit and how you know so all these things they are all interlinked and. Maybe that's just suddenly for me after 15 years, the penny suddenly drops. I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, all, all one to, can you know, say is... That's exactly what this podcast is. All one can uh, say is, thank God for the Supreme Court. No, but it, 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 it is interesting to see the, you know, the, the, the importance of re, reasserting or trying to, um, you know, put things, you know, that it is a question 
of law, indeed, it is not right. Uh, so not only must the the, the the person who is suffering a loss cannot benefit from it, but nor is it right that the uh, pers- the, the contract breaker uh, is going to have too much of a burden. So that's why, you know, all this is uh, incredibly important. Uh, and so therefore it is nice, I think, uh, to see how far... Uh, we have gone since this decision and trying to untangle what Lord Hoffman um, has said. I suppose, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of reminded from time to time of, of Lord Stain, who who has written and said a number of times about uh, most of the rules that we have, certainly in contract law, are designed to fulfil the reasonable expectations of business people. I go back people. to that quote. Yeah, I go back to um, that quote and, so and often. fundamentally, that's at the root of, of all of these things that we're arguing about, isn't it, really? And striking that balance, because you're talking about fairness, Tim. Um, it, it's, it's the reasonable expectations of, of, of business people in order to support and facilitate business, because at the bottom line, that's what contract law is designed to do, isn't it? And I think that is a much better explanation for this case and that decision than any of the judges have delivered. So, Maggie, you should be on the screen. <laughs> you reckon, do you? I think you're the only one who thinks that, my love. But, <laughs> but I'll take that. Thank you so much. That's praise indeed. <laughs> so do we think that well you seem to think they got it right but for the wrong reasons i think that's what i would deduce out of that <laughs> that is the perfect summary yes, yes. <laughs> well there we you all go. agree sort of <laughs> we usually agree to disagree yes I mean, I, I think I think that's a I, I think, perfectly, I think, perfectly good position. I think Lord Hoffman's right. It was just unfortunate, maybe, that he used the phrase assumption of responsibility because that enables mm. people to seize on that and say, oh, hang on, hang on, that's a concept in tort law and this is about negligence and, and this has got no place in a contract law case. And I, I think maybe if he hadn't used that phrase or talked about um, uh, South Australia asset management case where the assumption of responsibility had yes. come from, people wouldn't have seized on it quite so much and, and said, oh, what the hell is he going on about here? This is tort law, isn't it? This is negligent. And yeah. Lady Hale kind of like gets uh, upset about that, I think. She thinks, hang on, assumption of responsibility, does, does that fit here? But I think all he really meant was um, you can't look at a term, you can't look at breach, you can't look at the scope of duty without stopping to think, what what are you asking about? And really what you're asking about is, what is your responsibility if you fail all of those things? Yes. And so and so they're all interconnected. I, I suppose, as, as Severin, you were saying, they're all interconnected. And I yeah. think that's, that's really all he meant, really. Uh, duty lives with breach, but breach is not the end of the story. It's halfway through the story. Breach gives rise to what? And and it's the damages point. Are, are you assuming responsibility for those damages? That's that's the language you use. And, and I think maybe we ought to think of a slightly different way of explaining it. But I think he was right. But then I would say that when I'm a bit of a fan. 
<laughs> I was going to say there's a certain bias. <laughs> as, as as Baroness Hill said, this could have been a, a an exam question. <laughs> oh, but what what did you say? Something that she said made me laugh or smile. At any rate, she said. Um, you know, uh, talking about assumption responsibility uh, and, and and working in uh, the South Australia asset uh, case law uh, might be the difference between what she referred to as an ordinary first class and a congratulatory first class. She's talking about 85, 90 percent as opposed to some of us just sort of are happy to get 70 percent. But there you go. <laughs> I know she still she still would have given seventy to the other law lords. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I take that. I'd be happy with seventy. I don't know about you. Yeah. I'll, I'll be happy. I'll and take that. People, people want oh, to yeah. read it again. I, I I just mentioned this. Professor Firmston in his textbook. Uh, that's Cheshire Five Foot and Firmston for those who like to look these things up. He describes this as a very important and difficult decision. So there you. <laughs> so, That's a night. I'll agree on the first yeah. point. On the second point, less so. so on the I first don't know point. if we've poured any light into this day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank very, you much. very much, Severine. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much, Thank dear you. listener, for bearing yes. with us. And we hope we hope to join you again next time.